Welcome back to episode 6 of the BSU podcast, Black at Stan. My name is Maya. I'm Joy. I'm Jarrell. And I'm Courtney. So this week at our BSU meeting, um, we're going to be discussing colorism, racism, and stuff like that. And our topic for today is racism in schools. But before we get into that, we're going to discuss um, some of the things we'll be talking about at our BSU meeting this Wednesday. Um, so the topic for our BSU meeting is colorism. Basically, just talking about what colorism means to you, what's your opinion on it, and why does it still exist today? Okay, so to start us off, we're going to start with racism in schools. So there's actually been a large number of African-American parents pulling their children from uh, public schooling and putting them into the private homeschooling. Mm -hmm. Um, There's an estimated 220,000 African-Americans that are now being homeschooled according to hiking report um, and it's happening more and more rapidly and right now African Americans make up 10% of the homeschooling population 16% of the public schooling population so we kind of want to discuss why we think that um, why so many African Americans are going into homeschooling and whether how big of an impact racial um, racism in the educational environment um, is impacting this so we have some issues going on, like or in our area specifically, such as Turlock High School. Um, there's been specific stories that we've heard from some of the students there regarding um, the things that they face there. And recently, they had a a student there um, post on Instagram, and her caption, which had nothing to do with the photo whatsoever, mm-hmm. um, was I'm going to read it to you. Quoted, it says, "Well, why can't black people get a PhD?" And then it says, because they can't get past their masters, hashtag M-A-G-A, hashtag Blue Lives Matter with a blue heart. Just for you guys who don't, like, put two and two together, M-A-G-A is Make America Great Again. Uh-huh. So, um, what do you guys think about that? Oh, let me add one thing. The picture that she posted this caption to was a picture of her and her friend in their varsity jackets. Mind you, it had nothing to do with the caption at all whatsoever. But, yes. I mean, I feel like a a comment or a post like that is exemplary of how some people feel, though I probably would have looked at something like that and kind of just been like, okay, whatever, and gone on about my day. I think it's different because it's in high school, so things things tend to be more, like, intense in high school, like, because you things. don't have as much of the freedom that you can do. Yeah, you know, you're like you're kind of surrounded by that. Or high schools tends to take on like a sort of group think mentality. Mm-hmm. So ignoring it isn't as easy as when you're outside of that environment. So that's what's troubling. I agree. Um, also, I got from the Modesto B article, which is basically a, a journal. Our local news Yeah, our place. local news. Um, I honestly, I think that, like, what you said is correct. It's kind of like that group mentality. mentality. But it's, um, I also read 
that uh, the second her second caption, which was like, I guess it was supposed to be an apology. It says, and I quote, "Sorry for being insensitive from from my last caption. I should have been more compassionate, and understanding." Within uh, someone on Twitter, because there was also like a Twitter feed for this, said, uh, "Disgusted to see a child say this. Not old enough to spell correctly." but feel that they can make ignorant and demeaning comments about my people. It was because she spelled past differently than, like, past, you know? And it's like, yeah. kind of like those, those, like, little things. Yeah. I, I get it that it was, like, very, like, hurtful and, like, you know, but, like, I feel like the fact that afterwards, after all that happened, um, the school district actually made her sign a contract saying, I'm going to be responsible for my actions and social media and, like, all the effects that it had to take. And so basically it was like this whole thing like school-wide when they were uh, reviewing it. I thought that was really interesting how they're kind of like taking that kind of action because I know most schools, like especially like around my area in the Bay Area, they wouldn't really take that type of approach to it. They'd be like kind of like, okay, let's find the person, let's find the meaning of this, blah, 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 whatever behind it. Mm-hmm. Take responsibility for your actions and that would be it. Like they wouldn't take any like further steps. Just brush it aside and just get rid of it like it just never happened. Yeah, you know, pretty just, much. Mm-mm. And so I thought that was really interesting and a... Um, different approach from my opinion like seeing that view of it by signing the contract what what is that supposed to do exactly i'm not sure i think it's honestly to me it sounds like they're just giving her accountability for it but there's no disciplinary actions being taken she hasn't been kicked off her whatever she well i know that she does a lot of sports and stuff at Mm -hmm. the school because she obviously has a varsity jacket and they were listed in the article but i mean i haven't seen any disciplinary acts being taken towards that but another thing that um that you could take into factor is that the African American population at Turlock High School is zero point six percent, and that's or zero point eight percent, and it's very very low um, there. But uh, I also want to add that before she made that she had changed her caption to like sorry like an apology one. She mm-hmm. put she changed it um, the second time. It said. I'm proud to be an American, not just because I have the right to speak my mind and carry a gun, but because it's the land of opportunity. And if you work hard, anyone can be successful. Um, Quote, Lee Greenwood. That's the person who wrote um, God Bless America. So I kind of think that I feel like a lot of schools try to brush this, brush things like that, like just try to brush it under the rug. And they even try to like... uh, point things back at the victims like oh like don't say anything about it kind of hush it because if you think about the what happened to the girl at the university of hartford connecticut um i guess she had been speaking out with people about it like uh, at her residence hall like her housing and they were like oh like don't say anything yeah the school told her that if she spoke out she would be removed from like the residence halls like don't speak out against it or anything and i feel like a lot of schools do try to brush stuff like that under the rug and that we don't get to um i totally just lost my train of thought it's all good. but <laughs> yeah like you don't you can't even like voice your what's happening to you because you're just getting threatened like oh more things are going to be taken from you also just a bridge that is very reminiscent of what happened i think it was like a week ago at hayward high and they found like some nuisance all up in the bathrooms recently and before that, months later at my old high school, Berkeley High, there was an Instagram little forum, little group that everybody was joining up talking about like, hey, we hate blacks, we hate disabled people, we hate Jews, blah, 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 blah. And it was getting passed around everywhere. I'm talking about seniors, juniors, freshmen, all the things. And even before that, you had somebody driving around Oakland on the freeway with a freaking noose in his car too, okay? So 
right off the back, that's land you know that most of these cats, they just don't care. They really don't. But to bring it back to the girl <clears throat> at the high, do you think at this point with the school, she has that much, like, just freedom just to say that type of stuff? Because evidently she knew what she was saying. And then mm-hmm. a couple minutes later, oh, I'm so sorry, this and that, blah, blah, blah. So it's almost like what gave her that idea? Like, you know what? I can say what I want to say. It's social media, so, And you I, know. I feel like that could be a thing. Like, they feel like they just have that privilege to be able to do that. And, like, it's kind of like a, oh, I'm going to say what I want to say, and then when I get the negative backlash towards it, oh, no, that's not what I meant. I meant something else. Right. That's That's not what I meant to say. That's not right. what I was you know right and i feel like that's like the kind of defense attack that a lot of people do once they realize like they were in the wrong for doing something right but my whole thing is like even after you said it, it's this whole notion of unless you guys are different about this the whole notion of just apologizing just to be apologizing like you really don't really mean it when you're apologizing exactly. no it's not because this type of stuff keeps happening and then as soon as people come on their ass it's like oh i'm so sorry because there's now backlash people exactly. trying to come at you now so what makes you even think in the first place that that's okay for you to say that? But basically, if you think about it, social media has changed so much to where it's pretty much an open platform. Just be, best way to put it, closet biggest are just out in the open right now. You see? Exactly. All over social media. Do you feel, I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Do you feel like especially like in this area because of um, the organization identity of Ropa being started in this area, do you feel like that's also why so many people in this area have been so much more open to like, that stuff, because I, I mean, I didn't live here during, like, the election time, but I heard that it was very, very, like, Trump, like, Trump. <laughs> so, with, like, the up-and-coming group, Identity Europa, and having the guy who had created that mm-hmm. group attend this campus, do you feel like that's another reason so many people, like, even in the high schools and stuff, um, feel more open to, like, just feel like they can say what they want? Like with such with stuff like that, without any disciplinary actions being taken. Absolutely, absolutely. Word. I mean, I wasn't here either, but I was driving around from the Bay, and even before Trump got nominated and all that stuff, you already was seeing on the freeways "Make America Great Again." There was even signs that "Make America White Again" and stuff. So the stuff was already coming together. You know, it was just a matter of time. That now we actually see it more open now. You know, so I don't necessarily think. Um disciplinary action should be taken and this was something that was touched on um, at the police forum last Thursday not for freedom of speech or expression I understand that it makes people feel uncomfortable but it doesn't have any real bearing on you except for to make you feel uncomfortable if you do Mm -hmm. if someone makes like a racist remark towards me or if I see noose hanging from somewhere or those what were these stickers that they were putting all over town yeah. it doesn't have any real effect or you know wearing on my life mm-hmm. now what happened to the young lady at hartford yeah. university mm-hmm. yeah. that's taking it to a whole nother level now she's doing the girl bodily harm and the authorities should step mm-hmm. in um all i can say about you know people expressing themselves in a negative manner is that you have the freedom to express that you don't agree with them. Like with Instagram posts like that, you can start your own page mm-hmm. to counter that. Um, you can choose not to give it any credence by not circulating it. Just completely ignore it. Um, you know, be active in the sorts of things that you 
put your energy into. Mm-hmm. That's what they want. They want to get a rise out of you from making comments like that. They mm-hmm. want to make you feel scared and uncomfortable to be in these spaces. Exactly. Um, but you can shut them down by just not allowing it. And once they take it a step further, because I know a lot of people are like, well, if you just, you know, act like it's okay. And again, just because disciplinary action isn't taken doesn't mean that you're acting like it's okay. You have the freedom to voice your opinion against it. You have your pre- you have the freedom to express mm-hmm. your disdain or your disgust for something like that. Um, but I know a lot of people worry that if they're allowed to do that, they'll take it a step further. Well, and this is something that the police told us at the last forum that even though personally they don't agree with with the sorts of racist things that are said or expressed these people are allowed to do that but as soon as it goes a step further and someone is victimized because of that or a crime is committed now you're talking about a felony that's a hate crime and they can come in and do something about it so if someone wants to take it to that level they can but there are legal consequences for doing that sort of thing and I think that's what people kind of have to get into their heads these words and things you don't like them but they're not having that much of an effect on you Mm -hmm. it's so easy to just ignore it and shut it down and that probably will have the person hot anyways because it's like oh it didn't have the expected effect I thought that if I I put these nooses up here you know people would be super offended take them down and throw them away like Right. And going on about going about your day. Right. Yeah, people right. are more bothered about the fact that you're unbothered by their actions and exactly. what they're doing. Like it irritates them Seriously. to see you unbothered. Seriously, you know. And even just to step that little further, we wouldn't have known about this Hartford incident if she didn't get on Facebook Live and tell everybody her exactly. situation and stuff. So right. there is that little part where we do need social media so we can broadcast, of course, the police shootings and stuff. You know, we have to have those type of videos and stuff just to know what's going on. But in her case, they did press charges on the girl and finally kicked her out to school and stuff. Yeah. But then there was people actually defending it, <laughs> like saying, oh, that's just like teasing. They're just, she's just booing her, blah, blah, blah. And poisoning is not booing. That was like one of the worst comments I saw that said poison is not booing. So it's like, where are you coming from with that? <laughs> I just want to add for you guys that don't actually know what happened to the student. Um, so there was... There, at the University of Hartford, uh, Connecticut, there was two roommates. One was white and one was black. Um, the white roommate had been bullying the black roommate for quite some time. And so she had ended up posting on Instagram saying that um, that she finally had gotten rid of her... Uh, she had finally gotten rid of her roommate saying that she had been spinning in her coconut oil, putting moldy clam dip in her lotion, rubbing used tampons on her backpack, and putting her toothbrushes in places where the sun doesn't shine, and so much more. And so now she finally gets to say goodbye to her, quote, Jamaican Barbie roommate, which is why she called her. Uh, but yeah, she has been expelled and everything, but I feel like these things, like... That there should be disciplinary acts sometimes because people do take it a step further. And there's another student at Turlock High School. And the other thing is that some of the the teachers and stuff know about it, but they just there's nothing they can really do about it. Like, for example, there's a girl who has to walk home every day, and there's kids that torment her and call her the N-word as she's walking home every day. She walks home and walks back. And when it was brought to the teacher's attention, they were like, oh my gosh, it's happening again. Like, you already knew it was happening, and there still has been no acts taken. There's not been a call home. Like, nothing's happening. And I feel like disciplinary acts do need to take take place sometimes in order to stop that stuff. 
younger rather than it, I guess, developing into other things sometimes. I think in that particular case, that would fall into harassment. I mean, you shouldn't be able to follow someone to and from their home Mm -hmm. while, you know, shouting derogatory slurs at them. That's not okay. In that case, they probably should have stepped in and been Mm -hmm. like, you know, you you cannot follow this person that way. That's harassment. Um, But as far as, like, I know at the police forum, a lot of, or some people raise their concerns about the stickers and I think nooses, I'm not sure, that were found around town. And the police officer let us know that, you know, they're not allowed to um, post those things because they don't have, like, a city ordinance or they don't have, like, yeah, he was Mm -hmm. like, so you're more than welcome to take them down. Um, and if we see them putting them up, like we can cite them, mm-hmm. but that's about all they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, they can't really do anything to anyone who's, I don't know, I guess, you know, they have to like protect like white supremacists right to protest in the streets or whatever. Like that's just mm-hmm. their right. And I know a, another police officer brought up a good point because he was like, you know, they could change the laws on that. But then you find yourself in a hard position because more restrictions are more restrictions for everyone. So just because you feel good about the fact that this person can't say this now, that also means that you may not be be able to express yourself as freely as you once did. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there are give and takes when it comes to cracking down on freedom of speech. Right. But if it gets to a point where you're pretty much just striking fear <laughs> to a certain yeah. group and stuff, then there has to be some type of debate, like, okay, is this really free of speech? Or are you just trying to just cite fear into people, like, create just animosity amongst people? Because I get that. They have to have their own opinion. I get all that stuff. But at the same time, if you're really just trying to, like, disown another group and stuff like that, blatantly, I mean, come on. There is going to be repercussions. There needs to be, you know. I think in that sense, it goes back to the people who who feel fearful to take it upon themselves. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't get the I wouldn't want to change the legislation right. just because I really am like for less laws. I like to have mm-hmm. as much freedom as possible. Mm-hmm. Take it upon yourself to have like a counter protest or a counter movement. Um like the young lady at Hartford University exercised her voice on social media and let people know what was going on at the university. That's a good example of, you know, taking matters into your own hands and not kind of like waiting for someone to do it for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Just as easily as they're able to go out and say these heinous things, we can get together and, you know, rebuke that. Rebuke it. But, like, (laughs) you you know what I mean. (laughs) But, um... Okay, so another reason that some people say that they take their kids from um, public schooling into private schooling is because they aren't learning enough about, like, African-American history, African history, you know? Because, I mean, I remember starting way back as, like, Mesopotamia, Egypt, and all, all of a sudden it's like, okay, let's start with slavery and come up to now. But, like, where is all that stuff, like, in the middle, like, the other countries that are building and stuff? Um, so what do you guys think about, like, that? Like, do you think that... It's better to take your kids out of the public school. That way you can give them more of, like, their own history so they aren't, like... I mean, not saying brainwashed, but, I mean, I feel like the side of history that we do learn from public schooling is different than what you learn on your own. Because I feel like a lot of stuff is, like, hidden that you don't, like, really get mentioned and stuff like that. I would agree with that. I don't know if you necessarily need to 
pull your kids from school. My biggest thing is, like, I'm imagining if I had kids and I'm strong in certain subjects, but in other subjects I'm weaker. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't have the credentials to really teach them that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if they're going to get a disproportionate education. Like, okay, cool, you know all this stuff about, you know, black history and where you come from, but... Can you do a quadratic formula? Yeah, like, come on. No. <laughs> no, I feel like you, right. can, yeah. you, can, you yeah. can't do things that are actually applicable yeah. to your life that are going to help you. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I don't necessarily know that, you know, you can't take it upon yourself to start at a young age or do that outside of school as, like, an extracurricular thing. Mm-hmm. Or um, I think that'd be, like, a good thing for maybe black communities to kind of start – maybe after-school programs so that kids could learn that stuff. That way they could, you know, have a formal education but also be learning about themselves so that they can kind of challenge the things that they hear in school or not feel like they're not learning about themselves or they're only seeing or learning about themselves in a negative light as opposed Mm -hmm. to look at all the great things that we've done or things that people have kind of discredited us for or – um just not mentioned at all Mm -hmm. so i i mean i think that's one way to approach it and of course i know one reason is because there's racism in schools but i mean i don't necessarily know that like the racism now is as was as bad as it was like back in the day um and i mean if that I, i guess that would be like a personal choice i don't i don't know that pulling your kids out of school is really gonna help them in the end because it's kind of like you can't you can pull them out of school, but you can't pull them out of the world. So yeah, you might just be hurting them by, sh- you know, sheltering them and shielding them from from racism. Not that it's like, okay, go out there. and But kind of like, you know, giving them some sort of coping mechanisms, defense mechanisms against this. Like, unfortunately, this is the world we live in, and mm-hmm. I don't agree with it. But we have to learn how to operate in it so that we can progress as a people. Like, I can't keep you from it no 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 no. because once you pull them out of the public system and i get that trying to learn your history and all that stuff Mm -hmm. but you still got like we're talking about the other subjects needed about your money finances your health you know there's gonna be other subjects you need to know too and you're not gonna be able to get probably in some cases you can't but not all that curriculum on one in your household you know but at the same time for those parents that want to pretty much take the kids out just to escape racism once they leave the house you're right back to square one again you know, mm-hmm. it's, you're right on the limelight right then and there. You know, so I do know people personally that did the homeschool um, experience. And for the most part, it was positive and stuff. Others was like they wish they was able to, like, interact with more of their more peers and stuff. stuff. You know, yeah. so there was that little aspect. But then way before, like, the racial stuff, it was just all about, like, public schools not getting enough money and stuff. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of budget cuts. So at one point, that was the main reason. But now, looking at it now, in the 2017 sense of just pull your kids out so they can learn their history and get away from, like, just the racism stuff. That can only work for so, for so long, but then once they get back on the real world, adult life or whatever, now what they do with it, you know, so. I was actually homeschooled for three years, mm-hmm. which is why I made the math comment. <laughs> but, I mean, I felt like I was good when I went back to school, mm-hmm. um, and I was on grade level, like, when I had to test back into uh, public school for math, and then I was advanced for um, – English and reading but yeah it was just too disproportionate and of course like my mom 
actually she is a good math teacher, but she's not very compassionate. So mm. she's just like, why aren't you getting this? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, because so I'm good at math, but I feel like I could never like teach that to other people because I don't understand like how they don't understand. Yes, that and that's how my mom that's is. Just my thing, and she's very much not a like. Well, why is it like this? Because that's the rule, and I'm like, no, I like, can't. Accept I need that. a reason. Like, yeah. I understand. <laughs> so. So who was, yeah. like, the main one that, like, decided for you to do the homeschooling? So, like, how did that come my up? My dad. And that was crazy, too, because I do agree with my mom in this sense. And we hardly ever agree, but she was just kind of like, I don't think that it was fair for my dad to make that decision for the family mm-hmm. when he worked all the time. So he, um, it was my mom that had to homeschool us. So it was like, okay, that's cool for you, but you're never around. Like, you don't, you don't have to teach them. Um, so, yeah, but I think... Ours was more based off of religious reasons. I think my like mm-hmm. my parents were like deep in the church, so it was like a way for them to be um, even more in the church because that was like one of our subjects was like the catechism. And then f- for a while, like we were even learning like Hebrew or something like that. And I'm like, this is really weird. And so when I went back to school, I was definitely like one of the more sheltered kids, and it was around the time like beginning middle school. You know, kids are starting to cuss more, and I'm just like what like you're (laughs) saying this and they're like you're super sheltered so i mean it was interesting being like reintegrated into public school almost like a culture shock in a way almost yeah but i caught on real quick i know my younger siblings they're more innocent so they weren't but i was definitely more of the like no i want to be accepted and liked so my parents are like why are you rebelling so hard and i'm kind of like because i need to fit in but yeah yeah, it's weird. I totally get that. I mean, my friend is the same way. She was actually um, homeschooled for all four years of high school. Oh. And so, like, mm. now, like, her little sister is in high school now as a sophomore. But, like, now she's kind of like, okay, we're in the adult world. And she's like, I have nobody to talk to. Like, a social <laughs> thing. Like, all this racism stuff is going on. And it was just, like, ridiculous. I'm just like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to do because, I mean, I'm not in your situation. Right. Like, but, I mean, even in uh, what I found in the Washington Post was that uh, most of black families actually homeschool their kids because of racial issues. Um, for example, there's this one kid that was, like, in kindergarten, maybe first grade. Um, and so this one white kid poured an anthill on him and then... Uh, teased him on the swing and was like, why are you that color? And like making all these like racial remarks about him and so his mother pulled him out of public school and started homeschooling him and then basically how it was when he was still in school for the time being it was, they, the school gave him ex- the excuse of kids will be kids and how uh, her son actually had to be monitored even though it was the other child's behavior Mm-hmm. That was the problem. And so, like, things like that, I guess, is, like, a big trigger as far as, like, you know, my kid is, like, facing all this stuff. And, like, even though they don't fully understand it, it's my job to, like, step in and be like, you know, hey, this isn't cool. I'm taking them out of the situation because you're obviously not going to do anything. That same kid also, I was reading that article, and he has um, Asperger's. He has a, it's a, but I want to say he had a higher form of it so he's like more social but he still has problems with or like he has trouble with um communicating with other students and stuff so when he was Mm -hmm. like feeling attacked like that like he didn't know what to do he was super upset about it so of course like the school didn't really do much to help they started monitoring him and stuff and I feel like another reason why people get pulled out so much is because of like a safety issue like 
like for years we weren't even allowed to be educated like no you're not allowed to go to school you can't do this and do that so now we're allowed to be educated but now we have to like look over our shoulder all the time like am I going to be like attacked like verbally Mm -hmm. am I going to be attacked physically am I going to be like all these different things and there is this other article of this um 26 year old woman she's 26 now and she has uh cerebral palsy I cannot yeah I can't really pronounce that um but she had her mouth taped shut by a teacher by her teacher because she was making noises is that was the teacher uh, the teacher's response and I have some other things that she came home with like different things and then the the teachers would always be like oh like it's her fault that she was coming home with bruises she poured scolding hot coffee on herself she was being too loud so that's why she got gagged with tape and stuff and I feel like it's um, a safety thing a lot of the time too because it's like my child isn't safe at school where you should always like you should always be able to feel safe there by chance does the article say like what grade level she was in or just well it, it was recent um mm-hmm. and I didn't know this actually either but I guess after um after you graduate high school sometimes you can stay in that program because they help you um go they, for adult yeah, life adult yeah, right, life right. they help to show you like different things you can do and stuff like that um so that's why she was still there uh, and that's what happened to her yeah, I mean, just to comment off of that, that's ridiculous. I haven't heard that before, but, I mean, I have met, like, different people with, like, different forms of palsy and that, like, that's actually one of them. And it's, like, you have to understand it's, like, one of the things with, like, special education that they don't, like, really have, like, they don't provide access to mm-hmm. or, like, a gateway to. It's, like, you have different people with different abilities and disabilities that can't always function, like, the average or normal mm-hmm. student and so it's like it's like you have a person in your classroom with like cerebral palsy like a severity of it like they're like making them make noises or like they're not able to advocate for themselves mm-hmm. as regular students you have to understand that taping their mouth shut isn't going to do anything exactly. or that if they spill something on themselves or like do whatever it's not their fault because it's not in their attention Exactly. And so it's like, I think that's like one of the things where like that schools still have a problem with is like having that like accessibility and that like uh, modification for like those type of students. Yeah. So you think that just comes from trying to like rehire, like reteach these teachers to like handle those type of situations, you know, because it's like, I remember there was another story where an autistic kid was like acting up apparently and the teacher locked him in the freaking um janitor's closet or something then waited for the mm-hmm. parents to come so stuff like that is like it's mind-boggling so it's almost like do we just who, who's responsible for that it's like is that like a administrative thing is that the teacher's thing is it the parent i mean like how do you fix that you know i think it's like kind of a group collective effort like mm-hmm. not only has to be the parent but also has to be the teacher and the, the teachers and the staff and the faculty because the parent is the one who takes care of the child daily but right. for those like certain amount of hours or whatever the teacher's in that position mm-hmm. and so like you have to know how to modify this for that student and be able to like have that student like advocate or some way or like to come to like some efficiency and accessibility like basically you have to know how to teach all of your students even though they learn in different ways you know like you basically it's kind of like teaching normal students like you kind of have to teach in a way to where all the students can comprehend that subject and all the students can like get it because everybody doesn't think the same and so you have to be able to explain it to all of them right well with that being said there was another situation just to deer off a little bit 
if you guys are reminded of what's been going on with the Kaepernick stuff, of course, but have you guys seen the news, what happened with the Texas owner for the football team? Have you ever heard what's going on with him? I've heard and a little bit. The shouldn't be running mm-hmm. the So pretty <laughs> much prison. the... Right. Mm-hmm. So the only context I can basically just tell you is that it's all stemming up from the Kaepernick stuff to where all the NFL owners are pretty much under investigation right now. Well, I would say like seven or ten of them, where now they're pretty much checking their phone records, emails to see if there really was any collusion onto blackball Kaepernick to even get into a team right now. So, of course, everybody's not saying no, he's not blackball, whatever. Case in point, this um, the Texas owner, McNair, he came out of the meeting on the news, they're pretty much saying, like, oh, this is looking good. They came together. They talked about their problems, whatever. But then he got back on the camera and said, yeah, after that meeting, we can't let the inmates run the asylum, basically. And that created a huge outroar because it's like, oh, so now we're talking about a slavery institution now. So now you're saying you're running an institution of slavery, basically, because for you to call them inmates, what is that is? And predominantly, your whole team is pretty much brothers in a sense, you know. So where are you getting at? And then... Right on Halloween, one of the star players um, dressed up in an inmate jumpsuit at his party. And everybody <laughs> was like, oh, how'd you come up with that? And, of course, he's, like, um, Snapchatting, and he's like, oh, yeah, the inmates, we all up in this team. So I was like, so if you call us inmates, we're going to show you. Like, this is your team, so what are you talking about? But, anywho, he started apologizing about it, just just like we're just talking about with the racial pros in the high school and stuff. Again, with this apology and stuff, you... You knew what you was saying, you know. His exactly. only apology was it was a figure of speech. Wow. Okay. So slavery is just figure of speech, you know. So how do you guys feel about that? It's weird. I think mm-hmm. that it's actually a poignant comparison. Um, I have a theory about the NFL and just like the whole mm-hmm. football organization in general, especially college football. But um, I mean, high key. It really is kind of like slavery, just a more evolved version. Yes, you're making millions of dollars, but you're not making anywhere near how much the owners are making. And you're literally sacrificing your bodies and your brains every time you're running into somebody at, like, I forgot how it's... They said it was equivalent to, like, a car crash when these men, like, tackle one another. Um, So for him to say that, I mean... They offer them contracts. They Most of them come from underprivileged communities. This is their only way out. Um, and so it's basically like signing, you know, signing an indentured servitude contract, although for millions of dollars. And even that, you know, a lot of these people end up broke after the NFL because mm-hmm. they don't know how to manage their finances. Yeah. They don't get any sort of financial counseling or an exit plan because, I mean, your body is only good for this career for so many years or whatever and um yeah so i mean the the prison analogy maybe not so much but the analogy to slavery yes i could see that like they don't even know that they're selling their selling themselves short um and the college the college football organization is even worse um i know the coach for alabama is saban it's paid like $7 million a year, mm-hmm. and all the players get are free meal plans. And before, they didn't even get that because I remember reading an article where the guy was like, yeah, I'm starving. Like, I don't um, – they pay for my education, but they don't give us any, you know, extra financial aid to eat. So now they get a meal plan, and, of course, their education paid for. But the school makes millions 
off of them because of how many people turn out to see them and and they don't care and I, i don't know if it's like a a black community issue because yes this is systemic and this is like a a white orchestrated thing Mm -hmm. but when you bring this up to black people it's not like we want to come together like oh we don't want to hear that no they want to they want to get out of the ghetto they want to have their shot at the nfl Mm -hmm. they're not really trying to stand together and be like no well if we don't play if we all don't play because i mean come on now i want to I'm just throwing out mm-hmm. a random statistic. What is it like? Eighty percent of the players in the NFL and the NBA are black. Like they you have, you yeah. have, you know, you have some power in that. Like if right. you can all get together and say no, like I want to negotiate a better deal. Yeah. But I don't think that they ever think about that. And I mean, I, I think that that conveys a certain message to white people too. Like if we if we dangle a few dollars in front of them, they'll dance for us or whatever because they're not thinking long term and i mean i think it's an issue that we should address we should be able to address um as a community and i think it is as far as you know certain athletes coming out and saying like you know there's another way really promoting the sciences and you know getting access to a better life through an education as opposed to entertainment or playing sport um but I wonder if, you know, if that is something that you want to do and if you're talented, I don't necessarily think that you shouldn't pursue those avenues. I just think that you should make the industry work for you and not the other way around because, I mean, these black people are being exploited and Mm -hmm. they don't even really care. Right, right, right. I mean, if you think about it, too, most of those guys that's in these little high-valued schools for college football Mm -hmm. and and, um, basketball, a lot of them are homeless, too. I mean, a lot of them can't even afford rent and stuff. And you see people making money off these college players right now, especially in the Ben Pools, Vegas, all that stuff. You look at numbers, people are bent on college football, college basketball, and yet here go the athletes, not getting a dime, barely, you know. Not that makes anything. me mad. For you know, them, but it's real but... though, because it's like I took a trip to Vegas and you can see everybody be talking about bettings and stuff, of course, in the NFL, but college football and, and NBA, college football and college basketball. That's one of the hugest caches mm-hmm. of money right then and there, just to bet on players' lives, basically, you know. And then you have to jump on that, too, Corey. It's like some of them, if that's, if that's their dream to just escape them, their areas of living, their neighborhood, if it's poverty or whatever, and they won't be in the NFL whatever, that's fine. But then at the same time, start thinking like a backup plan, too, if it doesn't work out, or, two, when your career is getting to that point of no return, start thinking about some other avenues jumping into. One player in particular, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but Tariq Black, former player of the Lakers, and went to the Rockets, basically he was already trying to become like a appraisal, you know. And it was like, he was on a couple of seasons and stuff, but then afterwards he was still trying to get his credentials up, his degree going to get into the appraisal world and stuff, you know. So that's like one of the things like, oh, so now we're promoting something else besides just sports and stuff. So it's good if sports is what you want to do, that's cool. But then at the same time, still keep looking at some other avenues that you can pretty much jump onto, too, you know. And even the schools are doing them a disservice. I don't know if you guys have seen the Netflix documentary, Last Chance You. It's basically... I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. It's yeah. really good. It's, it's super interesting, too. Um, it's like um, a reality documentary of a community college that basically drafts, like, Division One mm-hmm. uh, players mm-hmm. to, like top universities so Mm -hmm. that they can go on to possibly play for the NFL. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the way they treat these, these men and their education is comical. You know, they're pushing these guys through school. 
they're not showing up to class, they're not doing the work, um, the guidance counselor is essentially begging the teachers to kind of just pass them so that they can play on Saturday. Um, and they don't care. Like, education comes last. That's last on the totem pole. It's it's literally a facade, a formality that you have to do so that you can play the game. Like, it's not really looked at seriously, not from the educator's standpoint and not from the players which is really kind of disheartening as well like they don't take it seriously they don't want to be there I didn't come to school to do this one of them said I came to school to play like really it should be the reverse but I feel I feel like that a lot too I'm earlier you said like University of Alabama they aren't getting like anything um in that sort of way and I have heard that a lot but I know that it is against NCAA, uh, NCAA rules to even have a job other than like a work study job like they really want you to be like broke no money no anything you can't take in any money from anywhere but I also do know that some schools and I know UCLA does do this they give their um, athletes like an allowance they get like a certain amount of money per week and stuff but I do think that a lot of people go to their schools thinking, like, oh, I'm just here to play. Like, I'm doing one and done. Like, all I need are these Cs, like, pass my grade report, and then after that, like, it's hoop season. It's, like, football. Like, that's all I care about. And then I'm going to enlist for the draft and, like, all this other stuff. But, like, half the time, you're sitting here getting these Cs in these classes. You're going to go your whole four years not get drafted because the percentage of people who go from college to pro isn't that high. It's, like, less than 2%. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so you're sitting here getting all these bad grades in these classes. You're not really learning anything. Then let's say, like, for some reason you come out with this degree, you have no idea what to do with it because all you were thinking about is your hoop dream that never came true. Right. Right. I mean, I agree with that. I think it's because of the fact that, like, when it comes to athletes, education does come last in some cases or in most cases, which is why football players, when they become broken, homeless, and stuff like that, it's because they never thought of that plan B or, hey, what if this actually doesn't work out like I want it to? What am I going to do? And I, like, they just kind of think of, like, I'm going to play. This is going to be it. This is, like, my whole life right here. And then when it all comes crashing down, they're, they're like, at a dead end, basically. Like, they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do with it. It's like, oh, I went to school, but I don't know what to do with this education. Like, that's, like, basically, like, my number one talent mm-hmm. is playing and the I f- game. I feel like another big thing is that because they don't, like, really pay attention to, like, getting the skills that you can learn from these classes, that when they get this money, it's it's more of, like, a, oh, flash, let me see what I can get, look at what I can do with my money and all mm-hmm. this stuff, rather than... And I know that, like, like some players actually do, like, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to take these online classes, I'm going to keep working towards my degree, because... For all you know, the next game you go out and you're going to get that career-ending injury. That could have been your first game in the NFL, career-ending injury. Like, you're done. Like, and right. you don't have this degree anymore. You right. don't. Well, you never had it. <laughs> Stuff like that. It's true. It's true. And then really, to really bridge this around back to the Texas thing, if you think about it, if you have, like, a number one out of the nation recruit or something, these brands are watching them, too, at an early age. I'm mm-hmm. talking about, like, from freaking elementary school, middle school, high school, they watching him, they watching her. So it's like, as soon as they get drafted, boom, let's get you down to a contract. Let's get this, get this. Exactly. So at the same time, going back to this stuff, the NFL stuff, it's like, I don't know if you saw when um, the calls on ESPN, um, Jameel Hill had got suspended mm-hmm. for saying some comments about, like, mm-hmm. if you were against this, I start boycotting those brands, those, like, advertisers and stuff. And she got flagged for it and pretty much got suspended. Now she's back and stuff. But anywho, it's like, it is all about the money, basically, with most of these athletes, you know. So it's like the corporations, they want to use them. 
Others just want just to have them just market out their the next shoes, the mm-hmm. jerseys and stuff, and that's it. So yeah, on that note too, yeah, there is a legislation where they can't have the jobs and all that stuff. But there was a protest a year or two ago where they were trying to fix that in legis- legislation. So it's like at least have at least some type of income coming in. Because I would think for mm-hmm. most guys that's been on teams and stuff, it's hard trying to keep up the grades, go to school, you know, have a job too. Sustain your own self to live in, you know, so you need something, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's ridiculous. You and know? I just, it, it's very reminiscent of slavery in that, like, the school is profiting off the back of black mm-hmm. players and they are not receiving a dime. That's not okay. And as far as like, oh, but we're paying for their education. I am all about restitution and reparation, so I'm kind of like, you should trace their ancestry and be giving them their education for free just off the basis that they were excluded from being mm-hmm. educated. So education, well, I feel like education should be free anyways, <laughs> but, like, that is, it's not okay. Like, right. no, like, education is not going to cut it. Like, you're making money off them, you need to give them their cut. Exactly. But that's what my little spiel is on that. Um Specifically regarding the Colin Kaepernick thing, I personally think that it's a little weird that he's suing the NFL just because he quit willingly. It wasn't like you were fired. So if you quit a job, I feel like if you try to resubmit an application and your application is rejected, how are you going to be like, I'm mad because you won't reject, you won't accept my application when you willfully quit prior to? Yeah, I was kind of questioning that, too. Like, how are you going to do that? Like, why why would you feel, like, the necessary need to do that if you quit willingly? Like, if this was your choice, like, nobody pushed you to do this. You did this on your own. Like, then you're going to turn around and be like, oh, I'm going to see you guys. Yeah, like, but and they released quit. him. Yeah, he released, they released him from his contract. So I kind of had to give him the side eye, like, are you losing money or what is it? Like, because you were perfectly fine until you found out that you really weren't going to play anymore. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, like, whether or not they – I'm pretty sure they didn't have, like, a secret meeting. I know a lot of people are like, he is a good player in comparison to some people who got drafted. But not that I'm, like, a football expert, but I just felt like he was on par with the many other talented players there so they could afford to lose him. Like, you're not a Tom Brady. You are not the Beyonce of the NFL. Mm -hmm. You don't have that type of star power to, you know, basically get out of line and keep your job. Now, had that have been, you know, somebody else who was, you know, more of a beast, I think they would have been like, you know, we're going to try to keep him or, yeah, we will pick him up because, you know, he has the prowess and he has, you know, the star power to basically make moves like that but Colin Kaepernick nah like your average at best and average for the NFL is pretty good because you were able to get there in the first place but average in comparison to other players who are pretty good is just not like missable like you you're replaceable but um, I mean too if you think about it too around that time it was like you have the protests going on with police brutality and stuff too so even around that time, that's when you start getting in the active mode and stuff. Even before then, he was able to at least take him to the Super Bowl and stuff with the Niners and all that stuff. But then it was like afterwards, towards the end, yeah, maybe his timing was a bit off, right? Because pretty much afterwards, nobody wanted to contact him, no nothing, you know. But at that same time, if you think about it too, he 
pretty much has just went away from the football player to pretty much just a social activist now. So at this point, you could pretty much argue, like, if he still wants to play, maybe. Does he still just want to be that activist dude? Probably so, too, you know. But at the same time, do you think he was wrong for pretty much, like, bringing up all the social stuff that's going on right now? Or should he have just been that, that meat jock head, not say much, and just roll with the punches? Like, do you think, as, at least on that standpoint, he was doing something for the community, just, like, broadcasting his opinions and stuff? Or do you think he should just stay in his own lane, in a sense? I feel like there was nothing special about him. Like, I know there are a lot of people who are on, like, some Colin Kaepernick hype. Mm -hmm. Not me, personally. I'm just like, dude, you're not saying anything that nobody before you hasn't already said. And for me, it was more of, like, I don't know, a, a show of his blackness, I guess. Like, look at me. Look how black I am, everybody. I'm down for the cause. But it was kind of like, nah. But I don't know. I was low-key kind of annoyed with him because I don't necessarily know why this movement blew up when there are plenty of people before him that were already speaking out, and he wasn't saying anything particularly different, different or, mm -hmm. you know, life-changing. So that's my qualm. And just the whole, like, we saw him, you saw him his first season, and his hair was, like, short, and then it was, like, oh, all of a sudden, let me, like, try to napify my hair to the extreme. And, and he was looking way more tan. Though. Yeah, like, way more tan than he was, like, the last season. I'm kind of like, oh, come on. Like, get out of here. Who is this for? Because I'm not buying it. Like, so you think it was just mostly, like, a show, or he just wasn't really down with the cause? Like, what do you think, really? I don't know. I feel like... But this is already, like, segueing into another topic. I know. I, oh, I was, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I just, I feel like certain people who feel like, who have a chip on their shoulder about their blackness often overdo it or, like, try to just be too extra with it. Like, oh, look at how black I am. Like, my hair is textured or, you know, my skin, like... I don't know if you've ever encountered those people. I have, I where it's just like, it's, it's too much, like... I have people in my family who are biracial, and they just, they, it's almost like a caricature of what they think blackness is. And I'm kind of like, you don't, you don't have to do all that. Like, like okay, just tone it, tone it, it down. Like, <laughs> in my Chris Brown voice. <laughs> tone it down. Yeah, like, okay, I, I get it. Major uh, point. Case and clear. Right. Leave right. it alone. Just stop. So for me, like, watching Colin Kaepernick was kind of like just a huge eye roll. Because mm. I'm like, I don't understand. Like, you grew up in Turlock with white parents, but yet you're so oppressed. Well, to close out the Colin Kaepernick part, because I know we got to really touch on that big topic towards the end. Oh, we're going to leave that topic for next week because we're already... Yeah. Yeah. Right. We got a little lengthy today. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, but so our BSU meeting is this Wednesday at 7.30 in MSR 130. 130, yes. Also, I want to remind you guys all, because we've been forgetting to tell you guys this, but to follow our social media pages. We have an Instagram and a Twitter right now. Um, they're both at Black at Stan, B-L-A-C-K-A-T-S-T-A-N. Um, we'll be doing live interview, well, not live interviews. <laughs> we'll be taking in questions and, like, some different discussion, like, ideas and topics on there. And we'll also be doing like a introduce you to our different speakers post a picture and a little bit of, uh, of a bio about each of our speakers just so you guys can put like a name to a face and really like get to know us better so thank you for listening today and we will see you in two weeks thank you